The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Devo. And thanks for tuning in to another edition of Devo's Dish on Clubhouse Conversation, where it's a busy episode tonight as we have a lot to cover. Quite the day for the Royals on Thursday, July 31st, 2014, and overall in a bad way, I would say, for this franchise for a number of reasons. So the Royals do get a much-needed win against Minnesota as they win two out of three, complete a five-and-two homestand, which was the bare minimum you had to have in this homestand. So they got that job done, keeping the postseason dreams alive, albeit them very dim at this point, especially after today's developments. Royals saw another good outing from Jordano Venturi, Venturi? Ventura in getting that win. But the problem is they also effectively lose Eric Hosmer for the rest of the season tonight. I mean, anywhere from five to six weeks, that takes him out until September 10th to 15th. And by then, there's, what, three weeks left in the season? If he comes back, then it's probably a week of at-bats before he even has his timing back. You wouldn't expect him to be effective until the last two weeks of the season. Very good chance the Royals are effectively eliminated by then. Hopefully not, but the way things are looking, it's heading that direction, especially without Hosmer out there. You lose your gold-glove first baseman. You still lose one of your four or five best hitters, at least a threat, and it just weakens your lineup overall. So it's not a good situation for the Royals. The Royals also fail to make a move to improve their team either this year or in 2015 with the trade deadline. And let's start right there, because I know you want to talk about the trade deadline most. That's still the hot topic and and something that kind of tells what this franchise is right now. So no doubt today, Thursday, July 31st, 2014, had to be perhaps the most exciting and newsworthy trade, trade deadline in history, I would say at least in the in recent years, no doubt, with some of the blockbuster moves today, the big names on the moves, you know, just completely guys you wouldn't expect to get moved, such as Cespedes, for example, get moved today. So you had everything from big trades to blockbusters to some medium trades as well. And pretty much everybody who's either in the playoff hunt or was on the outside of it made a move either to buy or to sell for 2014 and beyond, except for the Royals, who did absolutely nothing. Now, on one hand, I will say, I've been telling you here in Clubhouse Conversation, I was under the premise, since obviously you and I are not in the meetings with Dayton Moore, we're not in the baseball circles as far as directly involved, I was under the impersonation and the impression that it was Marlon Byrd, Alex Rios. I know they were very interested in Alex Rios. I do have one contact Uh, close to the management situation for the Royals. And I do know Alex Rios was a guy they really wanted. I know a couple of prospects were even discussed that Texas wanted. Um, But things didn't end up working out. I guess there was more to the package. I don't know if San Francisco janked things up. I was pretty surprised the Royals didn't get Alex Rios today. That's the first thing. But even had, had they done that, I've even told you here, that even, you know, especially with Eric Cosmer out, let's say Eric Cosmer was healthy, even adding Alex Rios on his own is probably not going to put the Royals in the playoffs, especially not when the Tigers are adding David Price and you look throughout the league and Seattle's adding pieces and Toronto, so on and so forth. You look at the other teams making moves. So adding Alex Rios is not going to probably push you over the top. Might have gained you a win or two, which definitely is big. As we, as we both know, this is razor-thin margin for error. A win or two could easily push you into the postseason. But if the Royals had to give up too much and more than the two prospects I had been told were being discussed as a starting point, then it's probably good they didn't make that move. However, with that said, I also didn't realize that the Royals could have packaged James Shields and Lorenzo Cain and gotten you in at Cespedes. That's a move you make because it makes you better right now 
and for next year. Here's my reasoning on that. Now, if you make that move, I'm aware you're minus one in your rotation. You're, you've got Vargas back and then Chin staying in the rotation, right? Wrong. There were guys out there, medium to good level starters, that could have been acquired by the Royals. And with the Royals' bullpen, that's all they needed. You know, if you flip James Shields and Kane, obviously you're getting a major upgrade in the outfield with Cespedes versus Kane. You're losing some with James Shields, but it's not like he's Danny Duffy this year. I mean, he's been good overall, but for a number one, he's been disappointing this year. So then you go out once you get Cespedes, which you obviously had the pieces. Shields are going to lose anyways. Kane has been somebody who's always, you love him. He's a great defensive player, gold glover, you know, probably a league average offensive, maybe a little above league average center field wise. I haven't looked at the OPS in war for a while, but a guy that's good in center field, but Cespedes is a big upgrade there and shields are going to lose anyway. So you're, you're getting better for this year and next year. If you go ahead and then make a trade for a guy like a Bartolo Colon or even Tommy Malone guys who were available, one of which was traded. I'm sure the Royals between shields and Kane could have landed Cespedes, which makes you better this year and next year. And I'm quite sure they had the prospects in the minor leagues to land Bartolo Colon had they wanted to, or Tommy Malone. So if you make those two moves, you've made your team, in my opinion, exponentially better because you've got an everyday offensive bopper who is your superstar. Then you've got a guy with the home run derby pedigree, and Cespedes in Kansas City would be a star. I mean, if we consider guys like Alex Gordon and Salvador Perez stars, definitely all-star players, definitely very good players, but Cespedes would give you that wow factor, a legitimate star. He'd put butts in the seats. He'd sell a lot of stuff. I mean, you're going to lose Shields anyways. Why would you not flip Shields and Kane for Cespedes? You can plug Dyson in if you need to instead of Aoki, whatever. Flip-flop those two. You know, it's, it's not perfect. You're not going to just, you know, screw Oakland out and get somebody back in the outfield as well. But you've improved your offense tenfold, and you go out and make another move for a starting pitcher. And there, was, there were other guys available, I'm sure, that we don't know about that weren't traded. I'm sure prospects could have netted you a return for James Shields from another team. That makes your team better for this year and probably next year, for sure next year, because you're losing Shields either way. And then you've got Cespedes for one more year. And, you know, Tommy Malone would be under control for a while or whoever you get like that. You know, one of those medium starting pitchers they could have easily re-signed for next year. So, to me, Dayton Moore blew a golden opportunity to upgrade. I didn't see that. So, when I said when I said I wanted Dayton Moore to almost stay put you know, the last week when I thought Alex Rios was the only real option, I didn't realize some of these guys were going to be available, like Cespedes, for example. I mean, that's fine if he stays put, if those are the only kind of guys being traded. But when you've got guys out there that can really help your team and you have a piece like James Shields that can get you better this year and next year, because let's be honest, we get a first-round supplemental pick for James Shields who may or may may not make it, may or may not make an impact in three or four years. Dayton Moore ain't going to be here in three or four years, and you and I are sick and damn tired of waiting three or four more years for somebody. Cespedes is a wow factor and a star right now for the next year and a half. You go for that move because next year is probably your last real – window year where you can really go for it one more time after next year you have to start thinking about guys like Hosmer and Moustakis and uh, so on and so forth Escobar's got you know just a couple years left Gorin's nearing his end then you know Holland's making more and more money some of your guys are getting older you know at that point I think you have one more really strong year of a window and possibly 2016 so you've got maybe two more years of this current core group of guys and Dayton Moore is probably down to his last year too also so you make that move to only get a first round pick for James Shields is extremely disappointing you know cuz I think they they could have shipped him without selling I think it could have been buying had they been creative and god Billy Bean what a freaking genius can we just give him 20 million dollars and just throw out league minimum guys out there can it be any worse Detroit makes a big move. Oakland makes big moves. Boston adds impressively to their offense. Seattle does a nice job. 
on and on. The Royals do absolutely nothing. It's unacceptable. And Dayton Moore's eighth year, the health of the organization, the fact that he's unwilling to do anything and think outside the box and even admit some mistakes, even take a chance, admit some mistakes, swallow the pride a little bit, as Eve Six said back in the day with their head inside out. And the fact that you're now without Eric Cosmer. So now let's go to that. And so not only did you not add a bat today, now you're minus another bat. So your offense has gotten even worse. Now you're counting on a 42-year-old that you picked up off the scrap heap in year eight of your tenure as GM after not making a move to upgrade your club. And I hear Dayton today say, you know, we're happy with our club. These guys will start producing. We're two-thirds of the way into the season. When are these guys going to start producing? When? Will they get two runs off of Kevin Correa tonight? What did they have against Kyle Gibson? All these other starters. And they don't score runs, and now they lost Hosmer. And I and I hope, like hell, we don't miss the playoffs by four games and then hear excuses about how if Hosmer wouldn't have gotten hurt, we would have made it. Guess what? Every team out there has injuries. You had a chance to upgrade your team, and you didn't do it. This is your eighth season, and you couldn't upgrade this team more than, you know, than, more than the 500 team. You couldn't – you didn't have enough pieces to upgrade right now or the ability to admit that you needed to. You're running Raul Banyas out there off the scrap heap, a 42-year-old. You got a manager using Scott Downs in one-run games the night before. Two-run games, whatever the hell it was. It doesn't matter. Not happy with what the Royals did today. It's not good that Eric Hosmer is out either. Cespedes plus another starter could have put the Royals over the top, no doubt, this year and next. I mean, that would have already taken care of half of your offseason needs right now. Just by getting rid of a guy you weren't going to freaking resign, who you're only going to start, what, nine more times this year? Most likely, the Royals probably have about a 15 to 20% chance of the playoffs. James Shields could have netted you. I'm done talking about it. You know my opinion on this. So let's talk about Eric Hosmer, five to six weeks. Like I said, let's just assume it's five weeks. He says, you know, Ned said four. Eric said six. Let's just split the difference and say it's five weeks. Let's look at the calendar here. August 1st. One, two, three, four, five. He's back September 6th at the earliest. We'll just say September 10th. That's probably the realistic time he comes back. We have three weeks left in the season. Then it's going to take him a week to get his timing back. There really is no minor leagues at that point to get him at bats. You know, nor can you know where you really have time for a rehab assignment at that point, obviously. Chances are the Royals are probably out of it by then since they didn't add today and they lost another big piece of their offense. So essentially, in my mind, Eric Cosmer is done for the year. The Royals need to plan on the rest of the season. And they could still make one of these famous waiver wire claims that they'll be scouring the wires for and make a trade or, you know, what have you. I think we saw actually, I think didn't Alex Rios get claimed one year by the White Sox in August? They actually took his whole contract because Toronto didn't pull him back. So they could claim somebody, they could make a trade. But what are the odds that that's going to make a difference? How often do you see guys? Now we really are into the fringe guys. How often do you get to see a guy? And if you're picking somebody up, normally it's going to be adding salary. And I'm starting to think the Royals don't have the ability to do that. But I still have to believe. I haven't even seen Cespedes' salary. It can't be much more than Shields. If it's, it's probably not even that much. It has to be less than Shields. I digress. Let's talk about the game tonight. That's my thoughts on a, a bad day overall for the Kansas City Royals. The game itself was a 6-3 Royals win thanks to another big inning, four runs in the seventh for KC. Like we talked about last night, the win last night felt like going on that date with a girl that had warts, you know, <laughs> not literally. Uh, hopefully, if she did, you had several drinks before you discovered that, right? So you can still go through with it. Just kidding. No, but, I mean, it, it, it felt like this game tonight, you know, it was another one of those games where you'll take the win, but, what, the Twins left 11 guys on base? <laughs> They Each team made bad defensive plays. The Twins had, had a triple-A lineup. The Royals still had to come from behind, and it wasn't the most 
comfortable one. It ended up being a nice win, but even Aaron Crow not getting the job done at the end and not scoring until late, and it, it just wasn't the most ideal win. But the Royals got the job done. They had a five and two and two and one in this series. You know, homestand was five and two, so overall it's fine. They were three for eight with runners in scoring position. That's fine. Well balanced attack. Six Royals had at least a hit. Only one with two hits. That was Locaine. Three extra base hits were had, but they were bunched together, which was nice and helped out, obviously. So overall, not much to say about this game. It's the Twins. It's July 31st. And what is most likely a meaningless game in the grand scheme of things for both teams? We'll see what happens. The Royals remain four back in Detroit. And it's not a good thing since I still think the division's on, on ice and toast and it's over. But honestly, at this point, the division's probably the Royals' best chance. Still sitting three-plus games back of the wild card with all these other teams, and each of them upgraded their teams today while the Royals did nothing. The Royals went backwards with Hosmer going out. So Detroit obviously updated, upgraded big, although I will say I don't know that it's going to – it's more for the playoffs, I think, where it's going to make a big deal for Detroit. David Price is going to make, what, nine more starts with the Tigers, probably face the Royals once. But in the grand scheme, Drew Smiley wasn't exactly chump change, so maybe the Tigers win an extra game or two over the next nine. It'll make a big difference in the playoffs, however. But for the rest of the year, I don't know that that move really hurts the Royals that much, to be honest with you. I think not making moves hurts the Royals way more, not making a blockbuster trade, which they could have easily done today. They had the pieces to do it. Again, I can't. I got to quit talking about it. You know, I don't want to keep beating that dead horse. But Oakland series, Jeremy Guthrie against Sonny Gray. Royals, huge underdogs tomorrow night. I would be shocked if they come out there at the win. They're going to have to light up Sonny Gray and get – Six, seven innings of two or three run ball out of Guthrie. Wade Davis is unavailable tomorrow. He won't pitch three days in a row again. He'll, first time in his career he did that the other day, so he, he's unavailable. Kelvin Herrera is your, probably your ninth inning guy because Holland's probably unavailable as well after pitching tonight and throwing 28 pitches last night. So probably Frazier's your eighth inning guy if it gets there, and Herrera your ninth, Bueno your sixth and seventh guy. Guthrie needs to just step up and have a great game. The Royals, that's Friday's matchup. So I would say huge Oakland advantage Friday, obviously. Vargas against Leicester, who Oakland acquired today. Fairly good Oakland advantage. I would say tomorrow is the most overwhelming Oakland advantage. Guthrie against Gray. Gray's 12-3 and with a two six five. Guthrie's been struggling as of late. We'll see how the Royals react without Hosmer, without having a couple of their best bullpen arms available. Saturday, Vargas and Lester, it's definitely an Oakland advantage. Sunday, slight Oakland advantage. Casimir against Shields. I mean, they're all going to be Oakland advantages because they're the best team in the league, and they're considerably better than the Royals. And that pitching is just lights out. So, in all honesty, the Royals just have to win one game. If they lose all three, you can uh, go ahead and call the season over. You cannot get swept in this series. You can't get swept again. The Royals can lose about 20 more games this year. Approximately 20 more games, give or take, either direction. They can't afford to have three of them happen right now, the first three days of August. And lose any more ground. Realistically, they got to win two if they're going to compete. they gotta, they got to keep up with these other teams. So realistically, the Royals need two this weekend. But one is a must. I don't see how they get to unless you unless Shields will have to pitch his ass off on Sunday and get a win. That's the only way the Royals have a chance at two, obviously, because I they'd have to split these first two. I, I don't they're not winning both of the first two. They're not beating Lester and Gray in back to back nights with the Vargas coming back. I'm probably I would guess 85 pitch limit, and Guthrie has been struggling. Probably not going to win those first two. Sunday, Shields and Casimir, it's almost even. So the Royals get that one. At least they've gotten their not not getting swept in the series, and hopefully they can win another game in this series. We'll see. We'll see, guys. It's it's a disappointing day for the Kansas City Royals organization, I think. 
we'll talk to you again. Hopefully you were able to take a listen to the Whit Merrifield interview. Oh, by the way, I guess the Royals aren't going to be calling up another bat. It sounds like Nadios, after the game, said with Hosmer going on the DL, they're going to go ahead and just activate Vargas because they were going to have to make a move anyways on Saturday. Why not just DFA Scott Downs, who cannot pitch to right-handers? He's only available for one or two hitters a game, a lefty. Outside of Cleveland, how many other guys have that many lefties where he's that useful? You can't stick him out there for an inning or he gets lit up because he can't get right-handers out. How about just DFAing Scott Downs when you activate um, – Jason Vargas on Saturday. And how about bringing up a guy from Omaha like Whit Merrifield who's tearing the cover off the ball or Matt Fields or whoever it is? Are we really going to go with a three-man bench again with one of them being the backup catcher, so essentially a two-man bench and no other first baseman on the roster except for Butler and Abanez, guys who are subpar defensively. I don't care what the UZR things tell you and different whatever. Neither of those guys are average at this point of their career. Not to mention, you need, you need more offensive possibilities. I don't know. I'd like, to see, I'd like to see some guys rewarded. That's one thing about the Dayton Moore regime. They haven't rewarded the quote-unquote organizational guys very much. Sometimes you call one up and they get lightning in a bottle and they do well. Occasionally they come up and do really well. See Mike Avilas, who was seen as an organizational guy by the time he came up. I mean, these guys are performing in Omaha. Send a message. You bring them up. What do you have to lose? You didn't make a move today. I mean, I don't know. We'll talk to you again tomorrow here on Clubhouse Conversation. Have a good night.